This is the Two Spies Podcast, studying the Bible in a different way. What does the verse say? What is the topic being addressed? How does this affect me today? Go deeper in Scripture. Now the conversation begins with your hosts, David and Mark. All right, so we are back at it again and um, continuing our Genesis story, or study rather. Um, We're kind of... Dealing with uh, this Genesis story we're making up. Yeah, we we're, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. We're just making it up as we go. We just got it from different people. Um, <laughs> I mean, isn't that how things work? You just hear it from somebody and then it's truth. Yeah. Well, that's you hear it enough was, times. That's why. And I then you think. see it on the internet. Of course. Or you hear it on a podcast. Yeah. I, this is like a really a side note, but it, it really annoyed me that um, I was talking to somebody and, and they were they were like all gunko about a certain commentary. And I said, I asked them, well, what have you, you know, personally studied or personally got out of it or personally dug up? And they were talking about how, well, this person already did the studying. So there's no reason for me to take my time doing it. It's like, well, you're a moron. I mean, it it was really annoying, but nevertheless. So (laughs) uh, anyway, back to Esau. (laughs) So we're talking about Esau and Jacob kind of going the direction of Esau. And then we'll back up and hit Jacob. Just kind of doing like a really quick overview. Um, Esau. There's done. Okay, let's go on. All right, let's go on. The end. Thanks. Good night. (laughs) Have a good one. Um, Esau is a twin brother of Jacob, the son of Isaac and Rebecca. They were Um, twins? They were. Okay. Except the red and the hair. Yeah. But I mean. Because because Esau was Irish, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, You're not the only Irish in the Bible. <laughs> that's where the Irish came from, Esau. Apparently, <laughs> just depends on who you believe. Hey, that's going to be in a commentary. I don't write that in a commentary. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Then it's got to be true. You can tie it into the redheaded nephilim also. <laughs> the the, uh, the six finger redheaded nephilim with double row teeth in North America. <laughs> They're also descendants from the Irish, I mean, who are descendants from Esau. Of course. Who lost the blessing because of red beans? Mm, the beans. It's all the beans' fault, <laughs> Mister Bean. Uh, so, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where we're going with this, but um, Esau is a skillful hunter, and he's also red and hairy, which we already talked about, which separates him from Jacob. And uh, he's the older brother of Jacob, and um, God prophesied to Rebecca, saying that um, her young her her older son will serve the younger. Younger son or younger brother, um, Jacob held the heel of Esau, showing the battle that they'll have and the tension that's going to happen. Uh, Hosea recounts this moment in a negative light. Um, Hosea, Hosea is always negative. I know. Well, that's just his cup of tea. That's how he is. Huh? That's how he is. That's how he does things, Hosea. Um, Hosea twelve verses two and three, um, kind of referring to Jacob's impulsiveness. Um, Esau was favored by Isaac. Jacob was favored by Rebecca. Um, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for some food. Um, he lost his blessing to Jacob. Rebecca helped disguise Jacob as Esau to get that blessing. Um, one thing, I, I I don't know if we brought it up last week, probably not, but we kind of talked about it before the podcast was, do you think because because Esau married Canaanite women that were against um you know, the covenant with Abraham and Isaac, um, because he just kind of went against his father's um, desire or keeping the lineage within the family. Do you think that's what kind of made Rebecca um, over, you know, when she overheard about Isaac wanting to give the blessing to 
um, Esau, do you think because he had the Canaanite women and because they were giving Rebecca problems, that that's why she maybe— First of all, let's establish where the Canaanites are prohibited. Uh, basically, Abraham, I guess, if you want to go on that, Abraham sends his servant right. to get a bride for his son and says, don't get— Go, go, make sure you go to our family. Don't take our son. Don't take my son back there. Right. I'm trying to remember an actual prohibition statement he made. Like, don't don't do this. Well, I think the whole purpose with the covenant is to keep that lineage through. I mean, they become the Jewish people, obviously, but I think it's just to keep the lineage. Obviously, that that brings out the Messiah. Yeah. Down the road, but I just had a conversation yesterday with the guy I was working with. Uh, we side by side. We're on the same job. But we had a conversation about that because he <clears throat> this sounds very uh good, logical man thinking. The the kind of person who is against interracial marriage, blah, 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 because you don't see a blue jay and a blackbird mating, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, that's not exactly the same thing. That's that's two different kinds of the same species. And even though we're I guess you would say black and white or whatever. My, I'm interracially married. I guess that's one reason I may have spoken up more easily and <laughs> defended it. Yeah. But uh, looking at it biblically, which he honors the Bible, I just don't think he studies it very hard. But looking at it biblically, uh, God doesn't care at all about that until he's got to put a plan in place. He calls Abraham and says, I'm going to bless your descendants, and through you the whole world will be blessed. Right. Then what has to happen for Messiah is the offices of king and priest are taken care of by Messiah. So the, the bloodlines that carry the offices need to be kept clean until he comes. After that, doesn't mean a hill of beans. And right here where uh, Rebecca gets this prophecy when they're fighting in the womb, right. the word goyim, which all the Jews call everybody else, which is usually translated Gentiles, the word goyim includes Jacob right there. Huh. It doesn't, there's there's no, God doesn't care about that. There's no distinction at all. He made every single race, so he's not trying to keep, sure. he's not a God of division. <laughs> he actually wants us all to work together and be together. But when it comes down to the fact that he's going to create us and knows we're going to sin, and we did, he already had a plan in place, and that plan was for Messiah. So when he gives Moses the law and establishes these different things out of the tribes, the Judah, the king tribe, and Levi, the priest tribe. Right. There's not really anything about keeping Naphtali clean. When they come back out, Balaam, because of the gods of the other people that Balaam brings in, that's the actual trouble. Because of the gods that Solomon brings in from other women, that's the actual trouble. Not the bloodline so much, even though Solomon's in the bloodline. Right, right. But I'm just getting to the point that the only two bloodlines that we care about biblically are Judah and Levi. And once those are completed in Christ, they're not a, a consideration in the New Testament. Right. I agree with you, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm misunderstanding you. Or maybe I, I was going to say, I'm seeing point. some agreement on your face and some not. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, me. I, I completely agree that it doesn't matter. The race doesn't matter. It's not about the race. And especially after Christ, we're all adopted in the God's kingdom, regardless of Jude. You know, like the Bible says, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's et cetera. Yeah. But I also think that, I mean, God tells Israel 
you know, wipe out these nations, wipe out these people because they're going to affect you. They're going to um, uh, influence you for the negative, which it happens yeah. because they don't do what God says. They don't kill everybody. They leave a few people here and there. Yeah. And that's why I think the lineage would, that's why I was thinking it was pretty important that God, God's not exterminating a race of people, but he's telling Israelites, um, you know, you got to keep pure because this lineage, the purpose of keeping it pure is to bring about the Messiah. Right. So right. I don't know if we just, I just misconnected. Uh, I don't lots. disagree with that. No, okay. I'm just saying that we, we know this for Messiah. We know mm-hmm. Messiah is coming in a king line to inherit the throne. He's not coming from Naphtali. He's not coming from Dan or Zebulun. Yeah. And even though the Jews as a whole, the Israel as a whole, because some people want to make distinctions that Judah or Jews are only Judah, whatever, Jews, Judah, Israel as a whole, the whole deal. Um, the only reason he does tell them to kill the entire group in this new town is not to mix and take in their culture right. and their, their religion, their gods. Right. Not necessarily because of their DNA, their, you know, their physical blood, that physical blood, he only really seems to care about in Judah and Levi. Yeah. Once those two things are taken care of, it's not an issue anymore, really, at the time of Jesus. Right. That's true. And I mean, it's just, uh, to me, it's the, it's a, <laughs> it's a very white supremacist KKK logic <laughs> to say, you don't see uh, deer and antelope mating, do you? Yes. Well, no, you don't, but you do see other things mating like uh, horses and donkeys making mules. Yeah. It, it can happen and does happen occasionally. Well, you know, when I, whenever I've, I've spoken to a, a white supremacist guy before, racist, and, you know, the Bible's, you know, white and pro-white and Because the this. pages are white. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Je- Jesus is red, but the words are red. But um, I, I, I told him, you know, Jesus is actually more black than he is white. I mean, yeah. the Arab people are more dark skin and, and have that reddish tint to them than Caucasian white. So, I mean, kind of hard to argue. There it is. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't do that again. <laughs> but anyway. Um, How are you a white supremacist? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Esau's fault. Um, and, you know, I think when, when we're talking about that blessing that um, – Isaac gives to Jacob. Do you think? Do you think that's the blessing that is going to? Um, do you think that's the blessing that um, is like a stamp um, for the lineage of the coming Messiah? Even though Isaac necessarily may not know it, do you think if he blessed Esau, then the Messiah would come from Esau's lineage? Is what I'm asking. Yeah. Um. Well, here's something I wanted to get into tonight because I think we see Esau in a very bad light because usually he's preached in a bad light. Yeah. But if you go back and look at it, after he after Isaac, and just to sum this up quickly, Isaac blesses Jacob really, really good when he thinks it's Esau. When he finds it out it is Esau or it is Jacob instead, and when he purposely blesses Jacob, it's a much different kind of blessing. Yeah. <clears throat> so he doesn't have any problem with Esau. We know he loves Esau the most. He doesn't seem to actually have any problem with uh, the Canaanite women. Like you said, he probably doesn't realize what he's doing as far as 
Messiah lineage. He's not thinking in those terms like we're thinking post-cross. Right. right. But he doesn't care about that. He probably looks at his son's wives and says, hey, she's good looking. My son did good. She's had, they've had a lot of kids. My son's done good. And then after this whole event happens with uh, Rebecca doing that with covering Jacob in some goat skins, getting him blessed instead, after all that comes to light, and she makes the comment to Isaac about these these Canaanite women make me sick. I don't want, I don't want Jacob marrying one of them. Isaac falls in line within the blessing that he gives Jacob, knowingly giving it to Jacob. Mm-hmm. He falls in line with his wife's wishes. And when he says it, that's when Esau says, ah, my father doesn't like that. He's coming across that way, at least at this moment. I got you, yeah. So that makes sense. What does Esau care about his mom? She's mom, but she's always like Jacob. He's Jacob. Esau has mom issues. Jacob has dad issues. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's that simple. Yeah. So uh, Esau doesn't give a rat's tail that mom doesn't like his wife. Dad does. But now that dad is saying what mom's been saying this whole time, he goes right then. The next thing it says after Go that around. is he goes to Ishmael, who's not a Canaanite. And gets his daughter. Ishmael's yeah. back in the family. He's actually going back to the family the same way that he's heard about how Abraham, his grandfather, sent some servant to get a son for mm-hmm. his dad from the family. Esau, uh, yeah, Esau says, oh, dad is now on board with what mom's thinking. I need to get a wife from the family. And he goes to his uncle es- uh, Ishmael. His intent, I think his intent really shows there that he's actually doing his best out of sorrow and out of regret to get back in line. Hmm. He's actually trying to do the right thing, I believe. Yeah. And as we, you know, as you go through the story, you, you know, we find that um, <clears throat> Jacob flees to Haran. Mm-hmm. And really, you, you, you know, you kind of think, you know, you, like you talked about, you know, we'll get in the scripture that um, you'll hit later. But um, usually Esau does get the bad rap. He is the bad guy of the two. Yeah. Obviously, because Jacob's renamed Israel and Israel is, et cetera, you know. But... When you look at this story, like you like you just mentioned, is a good point that he's trying to correct things. He realizes that his dad wants this, so he does it. And then when um, when they when they cross paths again later on, um, it's Jacob that you know reacts wrong, right? And Esau's you know not better. He's welcoming his brother with open arms and all that. So he's not as like a Christian, to be honest with you. And Jacob does <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah. So <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. Like a Christian's supposed to. Excuse me. So, so I, you know, when people hear blessing, they think good and they think positive. But the blessing that Isaac gives Jacob isn't necessarily—I um, don't know how to phrase it—but um, a good. Uh, oh, bless. You know, God's blessings will be on you. You, you want to look at those right quick? Press down, shaking together, running over what? Yeah, you want to look at those blessings, the separate, because that's one thing I want to look at is yeah, the. Go, go ahead while I'm just rambling real quick. I'm going to say for you, the listener, in case you haven't noticed, we we have a whole lot of ideas that don't really flow in order, so we're just banging them all out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we kind of went out of order. Uh, but, like, you know, the reason why I'm saying that is, you know, you think blessing, you think good. Yeah. And obviously, you know, if you do a study of blessings and curses, all blessings and curses come from God, and God chooses what to do. So, um, you know, blessing is a good in a sense, but here, um, blessings are good, but the one who is blessed is not always good. Is that what you're getting yeah, at? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the one who is 
less blessed or cursed is not always the bad guy. Right. Yeah. That's just what Tolkien said. Everything is everything that glitters is not gold. <laughs> uh, okay, so I was just going to look for a second. The intentions of uh, Isaac's blessings. When he thinks it's Esau, this is Genesis twenty seven twenty nine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. <clears throat> uh, so let peoples serve you. Yabdukai, I mean, the main part here is abad, which is servant or slave. So Isaac hopes that Esau will enslave people in a way. He hopes he, will, he hopes that he will be such a man that he'll be over large amounts of slaves that, and servants that say, serve him. Hmm. That's the kind of intention he has. Uh, the phrase, and nations bow down to you. Uh, the word in, in this right here for bow down is shakha. Shakha means to fall down on your face prostrate. This is uh, this is kind of what you picture, well, I do. When you picture Daniel up in his room praying, I picture him with his face on the floor. His nose is touching the floor. He's, he may be hands out straight above his head. His knees are touching. His hips are touching. His nose is touching. And his, his elbows are touching. He's on the floor flat. That's shakha. And Isaac wants people to bow down to him, prostrate like that. Be Lord over your brothers. Uh, Lord here is Gebir. It's not uh, Adonai like we would normally think. But this is Gebir. And Gebir is uh, different forms of Gebir or Gebar are great. It, it kind of, it's, it's a, I think this is one of the words also linked to Nimrod. It's a powerful word. Wants him to be a great man, but Lord or ruler is how it's often translated. So he wants him to have slaves under him who fall down on their face, and he is the ruler. That's when he thinks it's Esau, how he blesses Jacob. So fast forward, when he thinks, or when he knows he's blessing Jacob, Genesis 28. Uh, let's see. I think I have a typo there where I erased something I meant to keep. Let's do one through four. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. I'm sorry. Let's back up into the back of 27. Then this is uh, verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of these Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like these, one of these women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob. This is in 28.1. And blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. So that basically tells you Hittites are Canaanites. Right. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. The same place that Abraham sent, uh, we think, uh, Eliezer to get a wife, to get Rebecca for uh, Isaac. Go to Padanaram, the house of Bethuel, the mother, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of people. May he, uh, may he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that, your, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So it's just kind of a... Here's one phrase that I looked at. A company of peoples. It comes from uh, 
kahal, which is assembly or company or congregation, which comes from uh, kahal, a verb, which means to gather or to assemble. So in relation to Esau's blessing, he wants people to uh, bow down and rule. He wants them to rule over people. He says to Jacob, I really hope y'all get together. I hope you get a lot of people together. That's about what the intent of that is. Instead of, I want you to be the ruler, I hope you got a lot of people around you. (laughs) (laughs) A company of peoples. Uh, The blessing of Abraham's wife I found to be uh, an interesting turning point. Barak is the regular word for blessing. But what is the blessing of Abraham? He links it right to that you may take possession of the land, not here, of your sojournings. He's saying, uh, your mother wants you to go to Haran. It's not his favorite son anyway. I hope you all get together. I hope you got a lot of kids. I hope you got a lot of people around you that like you. And I hope you're important there, everything, in that land where you sojourn. I hope you get the land where you sojourn. Now, leave here. He's thinking Esau's going to stay and get this land. Jacob's leaving, and he thinks he's blessing him with Abraham's blessings. Go get land. He's leaving his home. Abraham left Ur left Haran when he was told to to go get another land that's not his home. Right. He's actually blessing. He's, he's given the blessing that was given to him that was also given to Abraham for the land of Canaan to become his. But he, in a way, the wording just sounds like, I hope you get where you're going. <laughs> but he ends up, you know, the one who stays is the one who has to leave, and the one who goes is the one who gets to come back and gets it all. <laughs> but... uh just the the intention of it. Let's see that you can take the uh, through sojourners related. Uh, so he went away from the, he went away from the land of his birth and went away to another land, took possession of it. Talking about Abraham, is Isaac blessing him away from Esau? You ever heard of a? You ever hear a? You, well, you, your daughters are still young. You ever hear of a mother praying some boy away from her daughter? Yeah. Don't get mad at him and talk bad about him to the daughter because she'll just cling to him. (laughs) Just go to God and pray that he gets moved on, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it kind of sounds like to me that that he's actually blessing him away from Esau so he can still keep the son that he wants by his side. Hmm. That's interesting. It's kind of like a backward compliment. You know, uh, this is one, if I can always ever remember it, um, Bilbo, when he has his 111st birthday at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, right. he says, he, he talks about how noble all these hobbits are in front of him. And he says, I know, I know less than half of you, half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you, <laughs> half as well as you deserve. <laughs> so that's a funny quote. That's a good quote. <laughs> Anyway, that, I just wanted to look at the difference of the attention of Isaac. Yeah, when he opens his mouth to and knows what he's who he's talking to, which which time. That's a good point. Well, as we talked about, um, you know, Esau took the high road eventually. Genesis thirty three, when um, Jacob is trying to go. Uh, makes plans confronting Esau, and Esau surprises Jacob by receiving him without bitterness. Uh, Genesis uh, thirty three four through sixteen, and then the you know the two really don't meet again until Isaac's passing, and yeah. um, again they seem like they remain on good terms. Um, 
but their descendants are the ones that just continually um, bicker and fight. Um, it's not Esau and Jacob, it's Israel and Edom. So yeah. um, Genesis 36 kind of gives us a, a, a list of Esau's descendants. Like, he talk, like we talked about, he married uh, Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites. Um, his wives made trouble with Jacob and Rebecca that we talked about, and then he married Ishmael's daughter. Um, interesting little tidbit is that Edom had kings way before Israel. Um, it's noted in First Chronicles chapter one, verse forty-three through fifty-one. Uh, then, uh, did you let's see? Also, Genesis thirty-six, thirty-one. My eyes just fell on it. There, are, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the okay. Israelites. Okay, cool. So multiple times it's reiterated. So then Esau moves away and goes to Seir or Seir or however you pronounce it. Seir is basically this this big region, and this is where Edom uh, is, I guess. You know, Esau, Edom, same thing, just like Jacob and Israel, uh, yeah. just a different name. Um, Seir means hairy or thicket. Um, sometimes it's associated with Edom, sometimes it's not. Um, the area was inhabited by the Horites, Genesis 14, 6. Um, the Horites, not a lot is known about them. Um, I will say it's suggested that it comes, the word Horites come from the word Huru, which was a name, um, which was a name for Canaan by the Egyptians. Huru? Mm-hmm. H-U-R-U. Hmm. And so if this is true, the influence um, of naming them a Horite would be similar to the Hebrew whore, which means cave. Is that right? Whore? H-O-R? I can't pronounce it. Sure. Okay. So it means cave. So basically, um, they're saying that um, if the Egyptians are calling these people Huru, which are Horites, it's broken down in the Hebrew whore, which is cave or cave dweller. Which is that's okay. why the Edomites are cave dwellers. Yeah, okay. um, basically where it is. So, so, but other than that, really not a whole lot mentioned about the Horites or known about the Horites' origin. Um, the Edom, the Edomites, as I just mentioned, were known as cave dwellers because of the area that it was in. Uh, so Esau moved again to Seir. Um. And God gave Esau this land, Joshua 24, verse 4. And Esau, when he went into this land, he actually dis- disposed and destroyed the Horites. And that's in Deuteronomy 2, verse 12. So Esau comes to this land. There's these people inhabiting, and Esau just gets rid of them. They're done. And then he then it's renamed Edom. After this Esau. is something uh, I did a study on a while back. All the different lands that were given to people, mm-hmm. or people took in conquering, uh, the uh, Israel coming in out of after the exile, or excuse me, after the Exodus, Israel coming in to Canaan and killing all the people and taking their land. Everybody says, "Oh no, I just can't believe that!" And people get really upset about that. Christians get upset about that. Oh yeah, Muslims get really upset about that. There's a lot of deal about uh, the land of Canaan belonging to so-and-so, not so-and-so. And the Gaza Strip and all that. Right. Yeah. So if you look through the Bible, there's a whole pile of people who are designated a land that somebody else already lives in. And they by, by, 
by God in Scripture. He says, I'm giving this to them. Well, these other people live there. What about them? They're going to kill them? Okay. Nobody's upset about that because they're not Jews doing it. Right. So just this is this Esau is one of those who did the same exact thing, and nobody ever loses their their wig over it for some reason. Yeah. I had a friend who worked for a company. I won't say the name of the company, but the company was sending um, like uh, tractors and machines uh, to Israel. And he found out that they were supplying Israel with machinery. And so he quit because he was more, he was more on the Palestine side of Israel shouldn't have this land because, you know, just because God says it's theirs. I mean, I don't know. How it's well, let's let's say if we, because I know we're going to talk about this, but just from this this uh, standpoint, let's say that God and all that stuff is not involved in this. What is involved in somebody getting land? What's involved in setting up a government and setting up a culture in a place? Who has the most power? What is, by the world standard, what is right and wrong and law? What is control? If the military come into this town that we live in and they inflict a new law here, if you don't abide by the law, they say we're going to kill you and they got guns and you don't. Well, they're the rule. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But God gave me this land or God didn't give me this land. None of that matters. Yeah. So if we take all that out of the whole equation and we say Israel was given the land by the United Nations and then when they were attacked, they stomped butt. Repeatedly, yeah. So we take the whole God, uh, God thing, uh, God particle out of the equation. Not the God particle, but right. <laughs> we take God out of the equation. It doesn't really matter anyway. They still have stomped tail the whole time they've been there to anybody who's come against them from all directions and all sides at, at one time. So, what's any different than any other country that decides to move out and expand and conquer their neighbor? All right, that's a good point. There's no difference. I mean, the guy who's got the bigger stick is the the winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And Israel's not that big. I mean, no, it's not at all. But my Lebanese friend would argue with me over this situation. But when uh, when Gaza was uh, shooting rockets all the time, and Israel would basically fly their planes over and shoot, you know, real missiles at them. Yeah. I said, "Look, man, if I got an F fourteen Tomcat parked in my backyard, and you're sitting across the road at your house shooting your shotgun at my house." I'm going to warn you a time or two, and then I'm going to flatten your house and melt you. Yeah, You're an idiot for missing somebody with superior firepower, but the guy who was superior firepower, if they want something and they take it, well, who's going to stop them? Well, that's just not right. That doesn't mean hell of beans. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... No, you're fine. I'm upset now. Well, well, no. well, I mean, we're running, to, we're running into this now, not necessarily with... Um, uh, land, but with um, culture and power with North Korea and America, United States, mm -hmm. where, you know, some people are saying, don't go to war with North Korea. Um, we sh you know, there's plenty of people there that, um, you know, that are, that are not um, for the rulership or the dictatorship that Kim Jong is all about. But I mean, you're threatening. You're threatening our nation. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Just sit back and say, "All right, well, we're just going to yeah. take the beating." I mean, 
unfortunately, that's just the way war is. That's just the way our world is. There's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. This reminds me of a conversation that Hesa and I had in New York. I, I was telling Jeff about this while I go. He said, how was New York? I said, well, <laughs> 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 surprisingly, the people face to face are nicer like in our hotel, mm-hmm. so where he's sitting in there eating breakfast in the breakfast area, a stranger walks in. She's of a different race than me and or my wife, and the first thing she says is "Good morning." She's just a nice person. So everybody face to face seems to be really nice, but if you're car to car, they want to kill you. <laughs> so we pull out one morning that I can't see because of everybody way everybody parks. They park on, they has like a three, lo- three lane road and one lane is for overnight parking for everybody in the neighborhood. So the other two lanes are for both directions. I come to the perpendicular road. I have a stop sign and that other road doesn't. So I stop like I'm supposed to. I look both ways. There's not a soul coming. I can't see good. So I go slowly. I'm already out in the first lane when somebody comes in that other lane from, to my, from my right. I stop. He swerves. I never came into his lane. Now he's mad. He stops dead in front of me, and he's yelling at me. So I start yelling back at him. He's flailing his arms, so I start lifting my arms, and I start doing as much as I can to look wild. And Hastings trying to tell me to stop, stop, stop. I told her after we pulled off, he, he finally drove on off, and I went, and we went our ways. But I told her, men are dogs. The bigger dog will have to bark louder and act meaner to get the other dog to leave. That's all it is. But North Korea is a chihuahua. Chihuahuas are always loud and mean. They're little, tiny, tiny. They're fast. They come around, bite you on the back of the leg. They're little, tiny things. And if we're a pit bull, in relation to North Korea, America was more on the side of a pit bull. We're still going to take it, grab it by the neck, and shake it to death, and it's going to drop dead. But the guy with the bigger teeth, you know, the bigger muscles, but men are dogs. That's the point I'm making. I don't know what fits in here. (laughs) Men are dogs. All right, good night. (laughs) You learned it here. Well, Esau's hairy, so I mean, maybe. You you learned it here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm fussy tonight. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I'm riled up. I like it. I like it. We're going to get crazy. (laughs) No. Um, so basically some basic information on Edom real quick. Um, Edom means red. Um, the, the land itself had a bunch of red dirt. So not only is Esau red in color and hairy, Seer is hairy or um, its name. And also there's red dirt. So it kind of mean it kind of seems like Esau belongs here. It's like God made this land specifically for Esau to dwell. Yeah. yeah. Um, Edom is one of the first actual <laughs> enemies of Israel. Um, less is actually known about Edom than Israel's other neighbors, meaning um, there's a bunch of neighbors that have that have uh, recorded history throughout the time. Edom doesn't really have much of history recorded except what's in the Bible. Um, so nobody believes them, right? <laughs> they don't exist. <laughs> um, the area is very rugged, mountainous, and not very fertile. So there's like a bunch of mountains. Um, and they're actually on. There's actually a place in Edom where it's in the high ground, and I can't really show you a picture. But um, if you picture, you know, all this rock and all this stone and this building of a wall, there's like just like this very small opening to get to Petra. 
I don't know. It was an Indiana Jones movie. Yes, yes. It's the city yes. of Petra. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like if you, if you go to the book of Obadiah, you know, the, you know, the Edomites are kind of like, we, we sit on this high mountain where we can't be touched because really you have to go up this mountain and then you have to get into this small opening to fight the Edomites and you're probably going to lose. You're not going to do well. That's why they didn't really go to war. They didn't lose. And they also, you know, um, they, they backed the Babylonians, they backed the Moabites, etc. Um, they fought with those guys when they were fighting Israel. But really, no one was going to attack Edom because they t- they basically had the high ground. Yeah. So, um, so you know, here they are, you know, praising themselves, rejoicing at all the destruction that Israel is going on, and you know, and Obadiah, God's like, you don't have to worry about the armies down below. You mm. got to worry about the army above. <laughs> so, um, so Obadiah basically is all about um, judgment on Edom. But anyway, um. The thing about Edom is it has a king's highway that passed through Edom, which helped provide the Edomites with wealth in the area. Um, numbers 21, 22. Um, anything yet on Edom? <laughs> no, you said you didn't have a lot, but yeah, well, I guess we could say that because uh, just for the listener, because Mark and I were comparing notes, he actually has more on Edom. I have more on Esau. So you would almost think that's the same thing, but. When you yeah. study it, you kind of get some di- very different lines of uh, lesson yeah. comes out of it. So, yeah. uh, Just a few more quick notes. Let me just kind of run through them. Um, as we mentioned earlier, as the Israelites made their way after the exodus towards the promised land, they requested permission to go through Edom. Right. And obviously the Edomites said no. And um, Jacob's sons were warned not to pr- provoke Esau. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. The Israelites went around Edom to get to the promised land, Judges 11, 17 through 18. Uh, Joshua gave Judah territory that went right up to the borders of Edom, but didn't intersect with Edom. So um, Judah's kind of at the border of Edom. Um, David went to war with Edom and they became servants of Israel, First Chronicles 18, 13. And I liked it. That's right. Uh, following a rebellion in 845 BC, the Edomites gained independence, but were conquered once again. And they again got their freedom in the 730s and remained independent of Judah. Um, during Jehoshaphat, the Edomites joined the Amorites and the Moabites in a raid on Judah, Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. And that's kind of what we talked about, um, where, um, you know, basically the Edomites... Um, you know, if you think about the Edomites are cousins, distant cousins of Israel, but they're helping these foreign evil guys, Babylonians, Moabites, etc., capture, um, defeat, and enslave its cousins. And when they do so, they rejoice. They're excited. They're like, oh, hey, look what happened. Well, think about one thing first, though. Edom mm-hmm. is getting together with Moab. Mm-hmm. That's a cousin also. Back through Lot. Mm, yeah, Ammon is also a cousin back through Lot. Babylon, I guess you could look at it if you go back through Abraham. Abraham came from Ur. Mm. He was a Chaldean. <laughs> Everybody's <awesome> family. <laughs> it's they just don't like. They all came from Adam. <laughs> Adam. But. That's a good point that for whatever reason, they're all, they all don't like Israel. 
They don't like Jacob. They don't like the people of Israel. So they're constantly attacking, probably because of this blessing, because of this covenant. They want this land. Yeah. Um, so the Edomites rejoice over capturing um, Israel and um, attacking Judah. And Obadiah comes along and and pretty much prophesies their destruction, saying, you're pretty much going to be no more. So um, get ready for the end. Because um, you guys have rejoiced for the last time. You guys are finished. Um, I keep seeing it in my head every time you say Obadiah and I think Edom. I keep thinking Obadidom, Edomiah. <laughs> anyway. Yes. <laughs> don't don't say that. That's wrong. Don't no, say that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So God tells there's a bunch of judgment on Edom. I'm just going to run through uh, four scriptures. Lamentations 4, 21, 22. Ezekiel 25, 12 through 14, Joel 3, 19, and then obviously the whole book of Obadiah is about Edom's destruction. So, The, the only thing I had on Edom, was like I had said earlier, it comes real early in my notes, and it's real short. So think about the path of each one, because uh, what I'm basing this off or bouncing this off of or out of is uh, Genesis 25, 23, when the Lord says to Rebecca. Two nations are in your womb, two peoples from which you shall, uh, from from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So my question was, when were the descendants of the older ever in service to the youngers? So just following this through, the path of each one from the time of Isaac, from the, excuse me, from the time of Isaac's mistaken blessing, Jacob buys a birthright and steals a blessing, runs to Laban's house. Four women and wives, women or wives, mothering his children, returns to Canaan, wrestles God, name changed to Israel. Joseph leads the family to Egypt, multiplying Hebrew in numbers, Hebrews in numbers, the Exodus, conquers the land of Canaan under Joshua, then the judges, then the time of Samuel, Saul, David, king of Israel. So I'll just give you a quick rundown from Jacob to David. Quick rundown from Esau to the quote unquote Edomites. Esau. Loses the birthright. <clears throat> uh, name changed to Edom. Taking wives, having children, multiplies in Canaan, welcoming his brother into Canaan and inviting him to his own house. Jacob snubs him, never going. Esau slash Edom leaves Canaan, moves south and east, and conquers the land for himself from Seir the Horite, becomes the land of Edomites. So this is Second uh, Samuel, and that, that brought us from Jacob to David. Esau to the Edomites, Second Samuel eight fourteen. Then he, that's David, put garrisons in Edom throughout all the throughout all Edom. He put garrisons. That in case you didn't get the first time, it said that. <laughs> and all the Edomites became David's servants. So David rules over Edom. Do you think the Edomites have retained any animosity since the time of Jacob to Esau? <laughs> <laughs> well, not to cut you off, but. I, I'm done. I, okay. I don't know everything well, else is there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do wonder why, um, uh, you know, if, if Esau told his descendants the story, which, I mean, there was, I mean, the, I guess that's just what they did. They just told their stories. Um, you know, if he told the story, he wasn't really bitter as we learn. And he shows the, his, he shows his army. I love my brother. Yeah, um, I'm here to embrace him. I'm here to whatever he needs, give it to him. So he's showing the people uh, that there's no bitterness, there's no rivalry, everything's good. Yet, fast forward, you find this um, this hatred 
between Edom and Israel. You got to wonder too, though, if he if he's told his army and his his family, his wives, his kids that they're okay, their family, and then he goes and meets him that time and says, "Come to my house and let's let's get together, have a big party again. Let's let's call it all water under the bridge." I see all your wives, your kids, you're doing well. I'm glad. Let's let's kill some lambs and have a barbecue. Right. And then he doesn't come. And probably over some time there, Esau may have gotten mad again. But it may have you know, it may be a part of Edomite history. It may be a part of Edomite folklore that mm-hmm. this is what Jacob did that dishonored our our descendant. I'm I don't know. I'm I'm shooting from the hip on this, but I mean it's possible. You just brought it up to my mind that, that something happened. Right there. Man, Jacob's not a saint. Uh, no, we, he's a we, jerk. We, we've established. I mean, <laughs> you know, again, the only reason why he was blessed the way he was is because he deceived his father. Um, that's not knocking Israel. It's just, and obviously it was prophesied and this was planned by God's um, sovereign sovereignty. Let me ask you, do you think that he deceived his father or his mother deceived her husband? I'd probably say the latter. Rebecca deceived Isaac because I mean Jacob was oblivious, but he just went along with the plan because yeah, that's who he was. I mean he he's good to steal things. <laughs> he's good. I mean technically he didn't really do anything wrong when Esau was hungry and he asked for the birthright. Esau just gave it up. He asked he yeah he asked yes no question. The guy can say no, yeah. but he said yes. Yeah. So so they they really have different. I mean, when you look at both perspectives, they really aren't doing anything. It's just rivalry. It's just brothers doing yeah. one thing after another. You know, one's, like you said, one has mommy issues, one has daddy issues. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of wonder why, you know, the animos- animosity between Edom and Israel for so long and to the point of, you know, hey, we're going to capture our cousins and we're going to be happy that, you know, they're falling and we're not and we're good. And it may be another part of, uh, Edomite folklore too that that land was supposed to have been ours. Mm. That land was supposed to have been ours. And here I'm sure we they are. knew that story about yeah. the blessing, yeah, and the birthright, and all that. That's a good point. Where are you going next? Um, we can. I mean, we kind of established everything. Uh, we kind of. You want to just kind of like go hit Malachi? Sure. Okay. Let's hit him. Back in the jaw. <laughs> Reason I'm going to Malachi is because of the famous verse about how God hates somebody. So we're kind of like, so we kind of went forward just a little bit and talked about Edom briefly and talked about Edom and Israel and the capturing and all that. And now we're kind of like rewinding and going back to Jacob and Esau, the people, the the brothers. Yeah. And okay, because it's still referred to in the Old Testament, but. Excuse me. Um, This is one of my my bullet points on my notes is question. How do we see Esau? What does it teach us doctrinally? You know, how how does the way you see Esau that decides something doctrinally pretty large about you? Uh, What does it say about what the way we're taught? the doctrines of our, say, denominations or whatever. Um, there are some denominations that believe in uh, extreme Calvinism and that God actually creates people to send them to hell. Uh-huh. Knowingly, before they're even born, they, they're already destined for hell. Yeah. And this is one of the proof texts they use for this. 
So it's, it's one reason I guess I spent more and more time on it because the book of Esau over, oh, excuse me, the book of, yeah, the book of Esau, <laughs> the book of Malachi kind of uh, really gave me a different look on this after I started examining his writing. He has this little tiny phrase in here that gets weaseled around and twisted up and used. I mean, can't the devil, don't we take scripture oh, yeah. and use it? So just looking at it as a whole, um, let's see where I was going to pick up at. Okay, so how do we see Esau? And I already said this a while ago, but Genesis 28, um, when it when you see that his dad says, to his brother, don't take a wife of one of these Canaanites. And he sends him off to go get a wife from, from the family. That's where I had started with Esau and how we see him because he's always painting a bad light. Preachers always preach that he's the black and red cape wearing, mask wearing, <laughs> burglar, evil guy. And he's always the one stealing whatever you got, et cetera. He's not, actually not the, the thief, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's the way he's always preached and looked at. But we see him immediately after he hears that his father is on board with his mother now. He doesn't go get another Canaanite wife. He goes to Ishmael, gets an, uh, an Ishmaeli wife or whatever you want to call it. But she, uh, a wife, like a daughter of Ishmael, if it's a direct daughter of Ishmael, she would be a granddaughter of Abraham. She's not a Canaanite. So I just think it shows that uh, Ishmael's intent is to try his best possibly to get back in good with mom and dad. More likely, he's just following dad. But he's trying to also get back in birthright and blessing. Yeah. Since that's that's been that's, that's slipped through his fingers. Uh, so we always hear Esau preach in a hateful way. Two comments feed this. Genesis twenty seven forty one. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, I will kill my brother. So the first thing we have Esau and hate together is Esau hating and he wants to kill somebody. The next one is, uh, let's see, where did I go to? Well, I got some other stuff here before I go to it. This one is this Malachi one. Malachi one, two, three, and four. It's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. So let's go back here and let me go back to my notes for a second and see what I just now skipped. Okay, so Esau hating Jacob, Genesis 27, Genesis 33 he runs to him, embraces him, falls on his neck, kisses him. These are all pretty mushy words. The guy's he's real repentant. And then we so in one sense he's the hater. In another sense, God hates him, and that can never ever change. That is written in stone forever, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's what we had to go on. But um what I have looked at before with Malachi, this God forever hates idea. Malachi's writing style is very, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, rhetorical. He says something pretty heavy to get your attention. So throughout the whole book, the, the whole writing style of Malachi is Yahweh makes an, an, quote, extreme statement, unquote. The people say, quote, how, unquote. And then Yahweh 
quote, explains, unquote. <laughs> that happens again and again and again through the whole book. The first one is right there in that particular verse. So, But I want to go through the rest of Malachi just to grab out these instances to say this is Malachi's writing style, and this is how it should come across to us. Not, I just don't think it's cut and dried. God hates this person forever. He has no opportunity at all to ever get out of it. Right. Uh, this is Malachi one six through fourteen, and I'm yeah I'm paraphrasing these sections in my words, so we're not reading an entire book right now. <laughs> uh, Yahweh says, "Oh priest, you have despised my name." The people say, "How?" Yahweh says. Offering polluted food on my table. And the people says, how? Yahweh says, you offered blind, lame, sick animals to me. So he makes two two wild statements, two extreme statements. They say how twice. His answer in one leads to the other. But his final answer is what they're actually doing. So you see this is very poetic and a painted thing. Malachi 2, 1 through 9. The Lord rebukes the priest over the covenant of Levi. And how they are acting more like Esau, who despises birthright. The priests profane their covenant. This is not about Esau. It's just an example. And then he layers it right to the priest. The problem is the priest. Yeah. If he hates somebody, he hates somebody who despises their birthright. And who has the birthright now? Jacob. Move forward a couple of hundred years, Malachi's time, Israel, the priest. They have the birthright to not have any land because the Lord is their portion, blah, blah, blah. They don't honor that at all and don't give a rat's tell about it. They offer sick and lame animals. So God comes and says, you're worse than Esau. That's, you're, you're the problem now. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when people quote the, the tithing verse from Malachi chapter 3, you know, he's about robbing God. How dare you rob me? Well, God's talking to the priests. Yeah. Like you just kind of talked about. I mean— God's very, uh, I can't think of the word. Um, God's being very strong, very vocal, very he's direct. Uh, it was good. That's a good word. Yeah. Direct. Because these priests should know better. They, they should and, be the ones that know. They're sitting there robbing God. They're sitting there making excuses, et cetera. And God's not really going to put up with it. Um, just a quick thing. Um, I don't know if you looked at it, but um, when it says, Now Esau hated Jacob. The word hated there is different from the word hated used in Malachi. Um, the word hated in Genesis really means um, kind of to hold a grudge or to be hostile towards. Mm-hmm. And the one used in Malachi, um, a few things, it means to hate, to scorn, or decrease in status. So I just I saw the phrase decrease in status, which was kind of interesting. That wasn't, it's not God holding a grudge or um, that Esau is just going to be, or Esau has been a decrease in status through the blessing because um, Jacob got the, the full blessing. Esau didn't. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I just looked up those two words and I don't know if you had anything extra to kind of. No, see. that's, that's cool though to notice that. Uh, I would still go ahead and do Malachi, though. Let's see. Malachi 2, and we left off at uh, 1 through 9. Next section, 10 through 12. Judah profanes the sanctuary, worshiping other gods. 
Malachi 2, 11 through 16. Yahweh says, your weeping and groaning is fake. I don't accept your offerings. The people say, why not? Yahweh says, your husbands and wives are faithless to their covenant. This book is about covenant. And it's about the people who have the covenant, not honoring the covenant. That's what it's more about. I mean, this little tiny phrase right here about Esau. What in the world? Pick it out. Mm. Yeah. Here's one thing I noticed, though, uh, in the mentioning of Esau. Verse, let's see. Where was I? You were in chapter I, two. Well, let's go to, let's go to one for a second. Chapter okay. one. Because this is what I noticed. This is what started pointing me to. This has got something to do with covenants. Uh, verse two. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, and but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste the hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Esau, nope, says Edom. Do hmm. you see the name change happen there? Mm-hmm. It just sparked me. Maybe it's a small thing, but it sparked me to say the name change came over a losing of covenant or a covenant situation. That's what the rest of Malachi is about. He had a name change over giving up a covenant, losing a covenant. The rest of the book is about you who have the covenant, you who are in covenants, you don't honor them anyway. <laughs> and in, it's kind of funny, I haven't noticed it before, but just reading right then, this whole writing style of Malachi is God makes an extreme statement, and people say, how? I have loved you, says the Lord. People say, how have you loved us? They almost, they're almost doing it back to him in a way. They're, they're giving him a little more than just how. They're asking, like, how have you loved us? You haven't loved us. They're really accusing God, and God comes back with the rest of the book is accusing them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's see. In the in the first chapter there, basically six through the rest of the chapter, it's about the priests offering polluted uh, animals or weak animals, sick animals. One through nine, the priests have profaned their covenant, and it's actually called the covenant of Levi. So it's a little more specific than just the priest. Uh, 10 through 12 is talking about uh, Judah, which has the sanctuary within its borders. They worship other gods there. And there's a, there different kings at different times brought in and made different statues of other gods and put them in the Holy of Holies and stuff. We know that. Malachi 2, 11 through 16, you're weeping and you're faking, uh, you're weeping and you're groaning as fake. I don't accept your offerings. Why not? Your husbands and wives are faithless to their covenant. So he's narrowing it down to different people who have different covenants. Malachi 2.17, Yahweh says, you have wearied the Lord. The people say, how have we wearied the Lord? Yahweh says, by the lighting and those who do evil, then you ask, where is God? So you despise his name. You won't take his work or his word seriously. You break covenants. You call good what God calls evil, and then you ask where he is. <laughs> Does that not sound American? Being in New York this past week, I didn't get, there wasn't enough time. I didn't get to go to ground zero of the towers, which is, the, there's a memorial there now. But I just remember when America was attacked, at least in the Western world, this being even France, Britain, all of Europe, the world was American. And at that time when that happened, America was New Yorkers. We were all New Yorkers. All right. There was a big unity there. But uh, 
that was one thing that was all behind. A lot of people went straight to church, or they said, "Where's God? You hit me worse than God anyway. You didn't care about God before this happened." Yeah. When you know, now you want to blame him and say it's his fault. <laughs> but right. uh, so next, let's see. And what I had just kind of summed up there: you despise his name, don't take his work seriously, you break covenants, you call good what God calls evil, you ask where he is. So next. Malachi 3, 1 through 5, he's sending his messenger to face you. This is not like, hey, uh, he told me to tell you. (laughs) Malachi 3, the next verse is 6 through 12. Yahweh says, return to me. People say, how? Like, how are we not with you? Yahweh says, you robbed me. People say, how? Yahweh says, then tithes and offerings. Malachi 3, 13 to 15. Next section. Yahweh says, you have been hard against me. And the people say, how? Yahweh says, you say it's vain to serve God. Evil people get away with doing what they want to. So they're being hard against God because evil people are getting away with something. That's God's fault, you know. (laughs) Malachi 3, 16 through 18. The book of remembrance will renew the covenant stance with those who fear the Lord and serve him. The book will distinguish between the wicked and the righteous. So going out through this whole thing, it's about people who are breaking covenants. And then we come to a point where, uh, let's see, the ones who are supposed to be in good with him are blaming him because of other people who are not in good with him. Like they're not in righteousness with him. They're the evil people because they get away with something. And God says, don't worry about all that. The book of remembrance is going to set it all straight. You, you can really see kind of a, a little bit of a revelation layered over Malachi. Uh, the book of the book will distinguish between the wicked and the righteous. Malachi four one through six, which finishes his book out. Uh, the great day of the Lord is coming to execute judgments spoken by the messenger, the messenger that came back in in chapter three, and to establish the distinguishing between the wicked and the righteous according to the book of remembrance. So chapter 3 kind of turns and gives you a messenger's coming. There's a book that's going to separate the righteous and the wicked. And chapter 4 is about the great day of the Lord, which will establish both the things in those two sections. Hmm. So let's look back. Taking, taking all this allegoric writing, <clears throat> let's look back and consider these verses now. How, they, how do they sound? Yahweh says, I have loved you, Israel. And people say, how? Yahweh says, you got the birthright. And of course, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, right. my, my meaning of it. You got the birthright, and therefore the covenant that belonged to Esau. Consider what Esau lost with me, he's hated. Consider what you gained from me in that deal made over Edom's red beans, you're loved. But the only reason I haven't declared, uh, decreed utter destruction on you is you received Abraham's no matter what you do wrong covenant. Hmm. I think I talked to you about that when I was because for you listener me and mark have had these notes for a month now <laughs> we haven't been able to get to, to record it but when i was first studying this right here i started saying oh man then you can't do wrong covenant no matter what you do wrong covenant that's what we got that's what abraham got actually because remember when they, they they half the animals and he passed out and god made the covenant with him he didn't make covenant with god right. he got the you can't do no wrong covenant God made a covenant with him while he's passed out and says, I'm going to do it no matter what you do, right or wrong. He does the whole Ishmael thing. That's wrong. He still gets the covenant. 
<laughs> so yeah. that no no matter what you can do, the wrong covenant is passed on from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Now, uh, I, I, I spent a lot of time on that once I saw that because it started coloring things a lot differently for me. So I guess to the rest of my notes, then no matter what you do, wrong covenant keeps coming back up. It's hmm. interesting. You know, when you when you kind of look back at Edom and Israel, you know, it's like, um, you know, you get that mentality of um, we're saved, we're, we're we're blessed by God, so we can do no wrong, or kind of like what you're talking about, we can do no wrong, right. we're, we're good. Um, you know, uh, Edom does wrong against Judah and Israel, and God says, you know, all right, you're done, I'm wiping you out. And Ezra's like, yeah, now what? And then God's like, oh, wait a yeah, second. Yeah, wait, wait a minute. Second. Shut your mouths. You're not innocent. So here's what's going to happen with you guys. Yeah. And and then you get all these, you know, <laughs> issues with Israel. And, and God's God's not destroying them and wiping them out like he did eat them. But God is dealing with them. So. Yeah. If you don't have anything else in that section, I was going to go towards uh, Malachi quoted in the New Testament and how, because the New Testament really, we have to consider it now. You know, you, I think you and I do a pretty decent deal with not layering New Testament on everything we read Old Testament. Yeah. But we are New Testament now. We are post-cross. So how does this apply? Because uh, writers of the New Testament go back and quote Malachi specifically. And since we're talking about this particular phrase that gets manipulated by, uh, let me let me just say plainly, that gets manipulated by Calvinist. Yeah, well, see, I have <laughs> I have a friend who I, I mean, I I still respect him. But, um, there it goes again. <laughs> noise. Um, <laughs> I have a friend that I really respect, and uh, when I first got saved, you know, I I, I wasn't really interested in, in deep stuff or knowing. I mean, I just oh, you're just kind of saved. Well, I was curious about God. <laughs> I just didn't feel like studying and yeah. feel like getting in in depth or whatever. Um, but when I heard him kind of like speaking about the Bible, like uh, it wasn't just a book to study, it wasn't just a guide to know, but there was there was layers upon layers upon layers. And it's like when you dig, yeah, there's like a gold nugget, and you're like. There's got to be more gold down here. Maybe there's more. Yeah. Maybe there's a vein digging, down there. And you keep digging and you find more gold and you're like, well, we can't stop now. Yeah. But what if, what if there's some gold, you know, a hundred yards over there? And so this whole land could be filled with all this stuff. So um, just having the layers and I've always liked mystery. And when I write poetry, I've always used symbolisms and, and hidden meanings. And when I found out the Bible has all this and layers and layers, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is sweet. But this guy, um, we he talked about the sovereignty of God, which um, I there is the sovereignty of God, but he was very Calvinistic in the sense that um, what God says is. So if God says you're saved, you're saved. If God says you're going to hell, you're going to hell. The end. Just and show me would, some scripture where it says God says you're going to hell. Well, he'll quote this. He'll quote this verse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's okay. God loves Jacob. God hates Esau. God gets to do what he wants because he's God. He's sovereign. God says, you go to heaven, you go to hell. We don't like it, but that's just the sovereignty of God because he knows. But uh, I, I, And you're not disagreeing with me, but I just reiterate again. That's why I'm looking at yeah. Malachi's writing style. 
because what you learn in a basic hermeneutics class is to take the scripture the way it's written by the person who wrote it and their style of writing and what (laughs) they intend to mean. Yeah. So you have this guy is full of allegory and he's really banging the head of the guy who's got the covenant, not maybe he uses one little tiny section to speak this one thing and it gets used and used and used and used and used again and again. Yeah, I don't even think it talks about I don't think it's even talking about the sovereignty of God. No, I don't it's 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 not about I mean he's using Malachi is using or excuse me, the Lord is writing through Malachi using his style, but he's using the little example that they'll know just to yeah. get across. There's an issue of covenant here. Covenant right. was broken. You received something that would, didn't even really belong to you. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't make sense for him to talk about God's sovereignty and God's love and hate between two human beings, two individuals, in three verses. And the rest of the writing is dealing with covenants but and God's... Um, Anger towards the people of Israel and Judah and how they're been mocking and how his anger towards away the people who had the covenant. Right. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. How you would take three verses and say, well, these three verses are about this, but the entire rest of the book is about this. It, yeah. it doesn't make you got to. Yeah. So. <clears throat> so I wanted to take a few minutes to look at some different places that these concepts are looked at. Uh, Romans nine thirteen, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. If we look at this con- uh, look at this section in context too, what do we see? The surrounding section titles, not we uh, we always say, the section titles are not inspired scripture, but they are summing up what the section is about. The surrounding section titles, heirs with Christ, future glory, God's everlasting love. Okay, so what is what is Malachi about? It makes this statement about uh, loving loving Jacob and hate Esau. It's about the heirs who received the covenant, and then it's about future glory. That's what the book ends with. For the ones who are what? In covenant. No, the ones who are right in the book. The book of remembrance is the one that separates the righteous and the wicked, not the covenant. <laughs> but uh, it ends with God's everlasting love. That's what... I, 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 I didn't intend to get on Calvinism tonight, but it was the, it's just the easiest word to sum up what we're talking about, really. But uh, to, for it to end with God's everlasting love, we see more in the Bible about God's love than we do about his hate. We see more about him destinating, destiny, predestining. Are these words? <laughs> we see more about him destining people for heaven, for his presence, than we do for ever mentioned for him destining people to not be in his presence. We may, we may see more about hell than we do about heaven, but we see about the intention of God's heart. What his intention is that everybody comes to him. So uh, I looked back to Exodus. These are the 12 teachings. I'm just calling them that the 12, because it's 12 mentions the 12 teachings about Pharaoh's heart. So these, just phrases I'm, I've taken out of the progression of what happened to Pharaoh's heart getting hardened, right? Yeah, God did it. Let's see what happens first, though. The, and it's taking the quotes out. These are in order as they're written through Exodus. Uh, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. It seemingly was already hard. Doesn't say who did it. Second one, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh did that. If we, if we take what the scripture says, 
If we're going to take this uh, Malachi verse that says uh, God hates J- uh, Esau, let's take the scripture of what it says right here. Pharaoh hardened his heart, his own. Number three, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Doesn't really say who did it. Number four, Pharaoh hardened his heart. There's two for Pharaoh. And out of the first, you know, four, he's doing it. The heart of Pharaoh was hardened, number five. Number six, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's the first time the Lord's gotten involved with it. Number seven, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Okay, Pharaoh did it again. <laughs> number eight, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Doesn't say who did it. Number nine, the Lord said, I have hardened his heart. The Lord did it. Number 10, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Number 11, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Number 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But it starts out with Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And God finally solidifies it. So this is where 913 falls, which is quoting the Malachi. He makes an issue about Pharaoh's heart. So that's why I want to bring this stuff out about Pharaoh. Next section, Israel's unbelief, not Esau's. Not Esau's breaking the covenant, not, not Esau's being hated. It's just, it's about Israel. The message of salvation to all really kind of falls apart with the Calvinism idea there, the, the extreme uh, predestination or extreme selection. Next, or the last section there uh, around that is the remnant of Israel. So the remnant of Israel is what? It's kind of this little small group who is still the, the good, the righteous, the believers. The same as Malachi ends with the great day of the Lord accenting those who are split by the book of remembrance. Just is, I mean, like I said, uh, Revelation kind of layers over Malachi, but Malachi also kind of layers over Romans 9 too, I guess. Six. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Uh-oh, we got a problem here. For not all, and, uh, excuse me, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. We got a bigger problem here. This is getting bad. Because this doesn't support. <laughs> Verse, uh, Romans nine eleven. in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of his works, but because of his call. 12, she was told, the older shall serve the younger. 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on who I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on who I have compassion. I still think over, and this is being quoted, yes, from Malachi, but that's why I wanted to go through Malachi and look at the the writing style of uh, his, his poetic nature. And then go back and look and just to see that most of this is really in uh, in the direction of hitting on the guy who's got the covenant, which is Israel. Let's see, Romans 9, 6, and 7. Which is one of the main points I like to make about uh, election and predestination. Because the Bible mentions it and talks about it. It is there. But God is predestining everybody to come to heaven. The reason people don't come to heaven is because they're not falling in, in line with his plan because of the free will he gave them. But it doesn't say he predestined anybody to go to hell. This is another section right here, though, just saying, I'll have compassion on who I want to have compassion on. But this kind of goes back to the Romans 1 thing with 
if you're in the homosexuality and you're in the drugs and you're in the crime and stealing and doing whatever, God gives them over. He will give you over to what you're doing. Yeah, the choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, I, when people say the elect, you know, who's the elect? The elect are the ones that make the choice to go to heaven. And all, and that, that when everything's said and done, the ones in heaven are the elect. Yeah. Because they made the choice. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, all these arguments are very weak according <clears throat> to the, the Calvinist dance. <laughs> I'm good with it. I, mean, I have I, a brother in law, no matter what I've ever said to him, he says, Oh, that's weak. That's weak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've argued with people. Um, I actually, <laughs> I had a, um, uh, a Baptist pastor who, you know, has his PhD in theology. And I asked him a question, um, you know, what, what is your, what are your think? What are your backings? Or I'm just in a conversation, not like I'm attacking you or him attacking me. I just, because we come from different views, um, what, it, what he thinks about everything. So I told him what I thought and he just said, well, that sounds pretty good to me. And then he walked away. I was like, really? <laughs> but um, I, I will say, so his PhD has at least taught him not to argue another Christian. Just <laughs> let you think what you think, and I think what I think. Well, I had some scriptures, and, I, and and I told him, I feel like the Calvinist um, has more of an issue backing some things um, as opposed to the other. Like, for example, and I brought these two up, which I wasn't going to do, but I'm going to do it now. Oh, man. Um, Hebrews 6. Which is which is kind of a, a popular uh, verse. Um, just let me, let me just read it. Um, Therefore, let us leave elementary uh, doctrine of Christ and go into maturity, not laying on hands of a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying of the hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this is. And this we will do if God permits. Verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own, uh, for their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For the land has drunk with rain that often falls on it and produces a crop. Uh, Useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And it, its end is to be burned. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the whole book of Hebrews, you know, it's, it's this author is talking to Jews who are Messianic Jews who have accepted Jesus. And um, now they are being persecuted. And now they're, I mean, these guys are running and hiding and fleeing for their lives. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're talking. They're like, man, we didn't have this bad when we were, you know, making sacrifices and maybe mm-hmm. this really ain't worth it. And maybe, maybe Jesus isn't really the Messiah because I mean, God, I mean, we're supposed to be God's chosen people and this wouldn't happen, especially by our own blood. Kind of like you know yeah. the you know the relatives attacking each other. Yeah. Kind of goes back to that. Um, and so this author you know goes through Melchizedek, goes through the covenants, and defends how Jesus is the Messiah. And here he basically says, um, for those who have tasted of have been enlightened, what does that mean? Well, um, been enlightened to the truth. Who have tasted the heavenly gift? 
what does that mean? I kind of think it means salvation or, or um, finding Jesus. Um, having shared in the Holy Spirit, obviously the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus and the sacrifice, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says, you know, Jesus died on the cross once. He can't die again for your sins. So once you leave, what else is there? There's nothing to run to. Jesus died, and that was it. Um, I take this. I take these verses as can a person because it talks about falling away. Um, you can't restore them to repentance because Jesus already died. What I this is my personal belief. I take this verse as a person can fall away and lose out on their salvation because they're rejecting the only way to heaven. And personally, which I don't know what you, but person, I believe when a person genuinely loses their salvation, I don't think they can be saved again. Because now I see why you brought this up to the the Baptist, because he's going to say once saved, always saved. that that's why they had to come up with a terminology called backslider. Right. Like I believe you can lose your salvation. Yeah. But I don't believe it's, I lost my salvation, I'll get it back. I don't believe it. We're going to find it. Yeah, I believe <laughs> a, when a person is genuinely, truly born again and, and saved, I believe their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I believe they're stamped by the Holy Spirit, and and they bear witness to the truth, and God changes it. I don't mean, you know, you get saved, and, and you go out, and you sin. You do something wrong, and you die. I don't believe, I believe God's grace yeah. is a lot bigger yeah, no. than that. Um, so I don't mean you just met, you sin and make a mistake and, and your salvation. You mean gone. you've made a conscious decision yeah. to say I don't want anything to do with this Jesus stuff anymore. Yeah, I believe that's kind of that's 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 strong word because Jesus. I mean, there's not like I said, there's nothing else that can get you to heaven. There's what Jesus did has been done, and you accepted it. You believed it. Why are you going back if you reject this? There's nothing else there. And I think that's kind of where that hardness, you know, when you reject and go the opposite way, you're hardening your heart. And you keep walking that direction, you're going to keep hardening your heart like Pharaoh. Yeah. You keep rejecting God. Um, and going <laughs> to one of our devotions, um, I, I didn't say it in our devotional, but um, Luke chapter 8. Um, it's the parable of the sower, and I'm just going to read Jesus's words. Um, this is Jesus's interpretation of his own parable because um, the disciples didn't know what he was meaning. So uh, Luke 8, uh, I'm going to start at verse 10. Jesus says, uh, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but others they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parables is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, will receive it with joy, but they have no root. They they only believe for a while, and the time of testing, fall away. So apparently you can fall away. Um, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who... Um, here, but as they go on their way, they uh, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As in that, as for that, in the good soil, they are they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast and honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Um. So really, it's talking about those who hear the word and um believe and, and stick with and it. stick with it and be saved. Yeah. So, um, there's four different kinds of people here. 
Um, there's one who like will hear someone talking about Jesus or hear the word of God yeah. and just go away. Yeah. No big deal. I mean, nothing happens. The other, there is, um, oh man, that sounds good. You know, the, yeah. the tears of joy or, or something. And then eventually it just kind of withers away. It dies. Um, and I think when Hebrews six is talking about, I think it's talking about the third where just everything's being choked. It's their, their, the, their worries of this life and the cares and everything, you know, um, they had it better. They're being persecuted, et cetera. Yeah. It's just too much. Um, so anyway, I didn't mean to get into the Calvinist <laughs> thing, but, um, and, you know, Paul says in the latter days, some will abandon their faith and always, you know, say, well, to abandon something, you have to be on something. Yeah. Um, so again, I think the elect is, you know, Jesus says those who endure to the end will be saved. And I think, you know, and I think we've talked about it in our class and I shared it when I spoke to the overcomers Sunday night, you know, I can't remember who said it, but we're one, everyone's one decision away from, um, crapping their life with God. Yeah. Um, I don't care if you're a pastor, evangelist, a theologian, um, if you've been serving God for a hundred years and you're on your deathbed, you're still one decision away from ruining it. No one's above the other. And so anyway, mm. that's, that's my, that's my belief in a nutshell. <laughs> as far as salvation goes, I might be wrong, but this is one of those things I don't, uh, the Hebrews six section. Mm. Um, I can't disagree with anything you say. It's one of these, that's one of the, these, Subjects in doctrine where I think to myself, I don't know, and I'm going to make sure what I do with my decision for me. And yeah. I can't really, I couldn't stand here and preach to a, a congregation what you just said or opposite of it, saying that I really believe that sure. for you. Um, for myself, though, I mean, this is this is a major thing, really. When you think about it, can you make a free will decision to say, God, you know what? I just want you to leave me alone. Just go away. Get away from me. I really can't imagine saying that and meaning it. So it's hard for me to sit here and play like, would I really do that? But yeah. all I can say is for myself, I'm always afraid that I might come to that point. So I, I think about it often that I want to make sure that I – don't come to that point. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if I shared it with you or the, in the podcast or whatever, but there was a time where I got so depressed and so mad at God. And this is, you know, within the first couple of years of me being saved, um, you know, I got so upset and I, I can't remember what it was about. And um, I was at a friend's house and um, there might be, there was a few Christians there, but the most of them weren't. And but they all knew who I was, and you know, um, they were all doing their party stuff. And and um, when they kind of saw me, you know, being just angry and by myself and distant, um, one by one, they all started, you know, are you okay? What's wrong? And and I'm fine. I'm fine. And they're like, well, why don't you just go? Because they knew who I was. They're like, why don't you just go sit and pray? I said, screw that. And yeah. that's when they're like. So they went and like, they got in a room by themselves talking about how are they going to help me. And so, you know, <laughs> I had a, a friend who was, you know, I've talked to him about him before, but, you know, a drug dealer. 
not a believer. He he said, "Hey, Mark, uh, here here's my Bible." Because um, his parents were Christians, he had a Bible, and he said, "Here's a Bible. Maybe you should read it." And I grabbed the Bible and I threw it past him. I said, "Forget God. Forget that piece of crap. I'm done." Yeah. And everyone's just kind of like, "What's wrong with Mark?" And I was just, I, I was just mad. And so le- leaving the party, you know, everyone was kind of quiet, taking me back to my house. So I went by my house, and I was inside. And as soon as I walked in, I cried like a baby. And I was asking God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I felt so bad um, for for doing that. And um, I don't know, it was, it was out of frustration that I said that. And I've never been at that point before. But um, anyway. Uh, this all kind of brings up to my own history. I don't know when to say I got saved. I had two guys that were friends of mine when I was 13. Something pretty big happened in life to me. I was really lost. They were both calling me all the time. I got saved during that time. I remember a feeling, an event happening to me at 13. But it wasn't much longer before I left the church I was raised at, never went back, and went out in the world, got involved in all kind of different uh religions and stuff and studied magic and got into that and got a teacher, et cetera, lived that life for a while. And Christians are the bad guys, the whole deal. And then at some point later, that was about 13, some point later, uh, when I got divorced from my first wife is when I got saved. So years and years later, I come back and say, you know, I've been searching everywhere thinking I was going to find I, I remember picturing it in my mind as uh, God is the truth, like like a fish, and he's at least one fish out here in this big pond, but he's not, because there's a whole bunch of fish, and he's not like anything else. He's not in that pond. When I finally came down to, you know what, nothing is working right, I'm getting, I'm, I'm split up from my wife, I'm getting divorced, it is the worst thing that could have happened to my lifelong dream, which was centered on that. So what's really going on? And I'm I'm ready to break down. I'm ready to give my life to God. So I did consciously at that point say, uh, within a couple of months, I started reading the Bible at home. I consciously got saved and said, God, I want you to be my Savior. But did I get saved when I was 13, backslid, and then he brought me back and let me go through a time? Or did I get saved at 26? And if I had died at 20, would I, was I saved or not? I don't know. Right. I know what I consciously thought then but I still I still looked at things that were biblical while I looked at other religions because I wanted to give Christians I had a lot of Christian buddies who smoked weed with me then and we sat around and talked so all we did is sit around and get high and talk <laughs> except for the ones that played music we sat around and played music <laughs> but the ones that I talked with a lot of them were Christians and we sat around often and, and just talked about uh, God and Jesus and different things but their perspective was always different than what mine was at the time. But I knew enough to talk about it along with other things I studied. But was I saved then? I would consciously have told you then, no, I'm not a part of that. Right. So I don't, I don't know what to explain any of it. Uh, yeah. Either way, I sit here now. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't think we can really answer that question. I mean, we're always, there's always going to be... Um, I mean, the the point is, I think the overall point is that God loves humanity. He demonstrated that 
through Jesus. And whether you want to believe once saved, always saved, or um, the elect or whatever, you know, God, you know, God loves Esau and God loves Jacob. Um, just because, like we talked about, the phrasing uh, of what was said mm-hmm. doesn't mean God um, doesn't mean that God pushed and, away Esau and loathes him forever with no yeah no chance of anything yeah. different. Yeah, it's yeah. you. You kind of pointed out it was an issue of uh, levels, which is something I found more in studying. I wanted to go through it because it's. Uh, when I study Old Testament, I look at Hebrew, but it is good to take the Septuagint or Septuagint and layer that over. When you get words out of what the the old the Old Testament says, and then you look at how it's written in the Greek, you can take those words and look Go over in Hebrew. the New Testament. That way, you have a broader way to compare more text with this same language to see where that word shows up. So, Romans nine thirteen. As it's written, Jacob, I have agape which is based on agape. But Esau, I have emisema, or excuse me, emisesa. So the, the main thing here, the main word base here is miseo. An explanation of this, uh, agape love is always taught as a love that we can receive from God that requires nothing in return. It's the no matter what you can do wrong covenant. An explanation of miseo. The word here in the Greek New Testament is the same word used in the Greek uh, Septuagint for Malachi 1.3. So let's follow Maseo into the New Testament and get some context. What I'm saying is in the Greek Old Testament where Malachi writes this, this hatred of Esau, the word there is Maseo. So let's follow Maseo to the New Testament and see where else it's used to see how it applies and what how it, we all know how these are always preached. We hear these things over and over. So here they are. <laughs> Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me, that's Jesus speaking, and does hate, does, excuse me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Miseo. So Jesus wants you to hate your mother and father, <laughs> right? We always hear this priest exactly the opposite, that it's a matter of levels of love. Same word. Uh, Luke sixteen thirteen. No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the same word for love here, or excuse me, for hate. And it's putting a, a putting the things in your life in a, in a perspective or of of scale. Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is Jesus speaking again. Because he's not a peaceful guy. (laughs) (laughs) I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is the same thing that Luke just said. So Luke is saying... If you don't hate them, you can't follow me. You're not worthy of me. Matthew just states it differently and says, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. Huh. We all, we've always heard this preached exactly the same way. Yeah. Jesus doesn't really want you to poke your eye out. Right. He doesn't really want you to cut your hand off. He doesn't really want you to hate your mom and dad. So it's preached that it's a, a matter of levels. 
It's the same word that Malachi uses, or that I guess you would say Alexander's, the great translators used for Malachi. So here we decide this is literal and the other ones are. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the, let's see, just reading my notes here straight out. So the difference in loving and hating is loving one more or less or hating one more or less. It's a scale of increments. Closer to the love side of the scale is a negative hate factor. So what I've kind of done here on my notes is just made a, a love-hate scale. The very middle is zero. If you fall right here between love and zero, it's a negative hate factor. If you fall between zero and hate, it's a negative love factor, <laughs> a positive hate factor. A negative hate factor is a positive love factor. That's all it is. <laughs> it's a matter of scale, right? So moving in the direction of hate, let's see, I just said that. Either way, what I want to kind of look at, though, be to kind of conclude this whole issue is a couple of verses out of Ezekiel. I think you were going to go to Ezekiel anyway, weren't you? Uh, there, I had some Ezekiel scriptures down, but... 18? Um, no. Go ahead. Okay. My, my little section, I titled it here, Repentance. Could Esau ever repent and be accepted by God is my... My question, my premise, I'm working on this whole time. Is repentance a new tetric? Uh, yeah, new tetric. <laughs> is repentance a New Testament doctrine only? Would you say a New Testament doctrine is repentance and it's not an Old Testament doctrine? I have to think of. Be careful what you say. I'm going to read from Ezekiel. <laughs> well, I. I well, no, it has. There is a repentance because David sins. And he, you know, tries to ignore God and, and you know, uh, does all these things and eventually gets called out and yeah. finally says, I have sinned. Um, so yeah. I, there is some kind of repentance. I don't think the word is, I don't think it means no, the no, same. No. But yeah. Uh, just the concept at all is it, is it only New Testament's what I'm getting at. So this is why I'm reading from Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul who sins shall die. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked, and that's, I think that's probably, I probably left out man, if a wicked man turns away from all his sin that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be against him for the righteousness that he has done he shall live. 24 is simply vice versa. Yeah, I know this verse and I struggle with it, but go ahead. What? I, str I struggle with this verse. The next one? Mm hmm I had written down verse five, so I didn't write down the verse in my notes. Mm. <laughs> Let's see, 1824. But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abomination that the wicked person does shall he live none of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them he shall die you don't want that verse i just have i just struggle with it um like so when i got saved um there were there were three guys that went to, that went to the church that were involved in, in ministry and, and everything. And um, they all led me in the prayer to be saved. 
And, you know, I went to church here and as time progressed, I kept coming and they, they dwindled out. And they were the third seat, huh? And um, two of them um, still nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God. Um, they're not interested in God. I mean, they'll tell you, you know, uh, I think they still believe in God, but they just don't care. I mean, they they'll 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 tell you they're not saved. Um, so my question was when I when I when I came across this verse, I wondered that does that mean because I'm a I'm a part of of their fruit or whatever. Yeah. Um, does that mean that God's not remember their if they just you know does that mean guys don't remember what they did for me? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because they completely turned away from God. Um. So I just always wondered, you know, the people that do th- good things for God, if they do turn away and they're like, and they'll, you know, I don't want anything to do with God, etc. Does that mean God just kind of erases, erases, yeah, ignores what they did? So. That's why I've always struggled with this. I've never really studied it. I mean, I, I think the word say, remembered is, means remembered. So That would almost mean to say, too, that you are in, any, are in no way important in any way. You're just a fruit of somebody. And no matter what you do for the rest of your Christian life, none of that means a hill of beans. Right? Right. That, that if you're only a product of what they what they did, well— then we have to we we get in this causation loop where we have to go back and say, well, who did what they were? Somebody told them and they got saved, right. and then turned their back on or whatever. What about that person and the one before that one, <laughs> the one before that one? So, uh, if we go back further in Ezekiel eighteen, right here, because this is a pretty neat thing. Let's see. I, this maybe this is second one, verse ten. If, if he fathers a son. Let's go back to five. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountain uh, or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives uh, his bread to the hungry, covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest or take any profit, with, uh, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statute and keeps my rules by acting faithfully. He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. So that's one man. Next generation. If he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood who does not do any of these things, though he himself did not uh, did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, this time at the sun, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends it interest and takes profit. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him or upon himself. Now, suppose this man follows a son who sees all his the sins of his father that his father has done, he sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes at the idols of the house of Israel, 
does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives bread to the hungry and covers naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules and walks my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity, he shall surely live. As for the father's, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, on and on and on, <laughs> he restates the whole list. Yeah. Uh, yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of father? When the son has done what is, excuse me, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is right, just and right, he has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. So this is one of the main verses of Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul whose sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So just to answer what you're talking about there, this person who told you about Christ and you believed it and they prayed with you, mm-hmm. they were, if nothing else, they were a tool in God's hand. They were a Nebuchadnezzar. They were a King Cyrus. King Cyrus is the one who issued the decree that the temple would be built again. Was King Cyrus saved? We don't have we don't have a clue. Don't know. All right. But King Nebuchadnezzar, we do think probably did get saved. Does believe in God and Yahweh God for Old Testament sense? He's saved. But at the time that he did what God used him for, he was not a believer. He's just a, a foreign king being used but the fruit of what happens is to the individual person I, I guess also and I've told you this story too before about myself if it depends on somebody else's fruit then I am not a fruit <laughs> no one told me <laughs> uh, I mean and for you the listener who hadn't heard it just because that sounds odd I guess to say out of context I read the Bible <laughs> and got saved but no one came and told me about Jesus to make me believe or want to believe at twenty at age twenty six. That's why I guess I bring up that while ago is at age thirteen, those two guys told me about it. Right. I went on my way for a while when I came back to it. I sat at home and like I said, I don't know what what to call that time or what to say I was or what to say where to say I was standing. But I just know I made my own conscious decision when he came to me and gave me understanding at 26. Okay, David, you ruined it. I gave I gave you a life to live, and you've ruined it so far. <laughs> and you're finally coming to me saying, <laughs> I, I need some help with this. So I made a conscious decision. That's all I know is right now as I sit here. Thanks for listening to the Two Spice podcast with David and Mark. Don't forget to check out twospice.net for daily devotionals, writings on various topics, and separate Bible studies. Help us out by subscribing to the podcast, write a review on iTunes, and spread the word.